Well, I don't know if any of you know how Valentine's Day came to be, but it's really, a, there's a little bit of mystery to that. Um, we, we know that Valentine's Day um, is after St. Valentine. The problem is we don't know for 100% which Valentine it was. There are a couple different traditions out there uh, telling us that uh, Valentine, St. Valentine, was one of a couple different people. So I thought I would start tonight, since it's Valentine's Day, to give you just a little bit um, of possibly the history of it. Um, now, one of them is, is, is a man by the name of a, a priest known as St. Valentine who lived in the third century in Rome. As the story goes, um, this Valentine defied Emperor Claudius II uh, who had put a ban on marriages. Uh, he thought it distracted young soldiers and so he would illegally marry couples in the spirit of love until he was caught and sentenced to death. Another legend suggests that there was a Valentine who was killed for, valent, uh, excuse me, for attempting to help Christians escape prison in Rome and that he actually sent the very first Valentine message himself while imprisoned, writing a letter signed from your Valentine. Now, I don't know how both stories of persecution and death led to a holiday about love, but it has. But the, the reason why I want to just kind of start there is because these are two individuals who tried to do good and they were persecuted for it. And it really ties into really this book, 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a book written by, of course, Peter to a group of Christians in province areas um, in what is, was then Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. And he wrote this letter. It wasn't written to a church. It was written to, to be circulated among the different provinces uh, in Asia Minor. And these were Christians who were being persecuted. They were experiencing a lot of pain and a lot of per persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so Peter wrote this to, to remind them of the living hope. We looked at that last week, the living hope that they have, that no one can take that away. The, the crazy emperor Nero of the day, he couldn't take that away from them. He could take their life, but he, but he couldn't take their hope because their hope was eternal. And so he writes this uh, letter to be circulated, trying to encourage them and to exhort them to keep strong for the faith no matter what persecution may come their way. Now, I am in not in any way that suggesting that we live in a day where we're facing that level of persecution. There are brothers and sisters around the world who are, but there certainly is some level of persecution that we're facing today. And the more and more we become a Christless society, the more and more that those of us who are followers of Christ and who refuse to bend to the values of this culture, but instead bend a knee only to Christ, that we're gonna face more and more persecution and pain in our life. And so this is as much for us today as it was 2,000 years ago. And so, the first couple weeks, and if you weren't able to join us for the first couple weeks, those are all out there on uncagedbibleministry.com. You can, you can watch those messages. But the first couple weeks was just a lot of encouragement, 
a lot of encouragement. The first 12 verses just reminding us of all that we have in Christ. I would summarize it this way, just a reminder of God's extravagant grace in our life. There isn't a person in this room that deserved anything that's in verses 1 through 12. It is the extravagant grace of God for each of us. And so he wanted to encourage them when he started this letter, as they were going through what they were going through, just to remind them of how much God has done for them. Now, tonight we see a transition as we finish chapter one. And and if you're not familiar with uncaged Bible ministry, it's not milk, it's meat. All right, we wanna dig. We wanna go verse by verse through books of the Bible together. And the first two weeks, a lot of encouragement. Tonight is a transition into exhortation. He encourages, but now he's gonna exhort. You might say, well, isn't that the same thing? Not really. It's similar, but it's not the same. Encouragement, this is how I describe it. Encouragement is an arm around the shoulder. Exhortation is a loving kick in the pants. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I need both. Anybody else? I'm just curious. How many need both in their life? Right? As parents, we need to provide both for our kids, right? And we need that in our own life. And so tonight, while I hope is still encouraging, it's also an exhortation, all right? Peter is saying, in light of his extravagant grace, right? Verses 1 through 12. This then is how we ought to live in light of that. What I'm calling it for tonight is three responses to God's extravagant grace. Three responses to God's extravagant grace. And we're going to cover a lot of ground tonight. So take good notes. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, Let's go ahead. Let's do this. Let's stand and let's read all of uh, uh, chapter 1 verses 13 through 25. And then we'll come back and we'll, we'll, we'll really dive in. Right? Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God." having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Go ahead and have a seat, please. So here's the first of the three responses to God's extravagant grace in our lives. Number one is we need to think right. 
We need to think right. That's covered in verse 13. Verse 13 says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, put your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The first response is we need to start thinking right. There's three things that he says just in verse 13. What does it mean to think right? As we lean into a world that's becoming more and more Christless, how do we be Christ-like when the world's becoming more Christless? It begins in the mind. We have to, we have to think right. And, and the first thing he's saying is be ready. We've got to be ready. 13a, we've got to be, be ready. You know, in the Greek language, that phrase... Prepare your minds for action. It's literally gird the loins. Now, my guess is that, that nobody this week said to someone or heard from someone, hey, you know what? You need to gird your loins. Right? Did anybody say gird your loins this week to somebody? I can't really see anyways, but I'm guessing no hand is up. Right? That's, a, that's not a phrase we learned, gird the loins. Right? It's saying odd, but, but it was very much a biblical principle, gird your loins. Peter's saying in light of all this thing, you need to gird your loins. What are we talking about? Well, in Bible times, the men would wear long flowing robes. And to gird your loins was to take the bottom of it and to stuff it inside your sash, inside the belt. If you think about Ephesians chapter six, when it talks about the armor of God, preparing yourself for battle, the very first piece of battle is, 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 is the, um, the belt. Why? Because everything is attached to that, truth, the belt of truth. We need to know truth, we need to think right, we need to gird the loins, why? Because we, you, you pull that up because if you have this long flowing thing and you're running and the wind blows it up or you trip over yourself, you can't go into battle, you can't go into action, you get tripped up. You have to gird the loins, so the idea here is that are we ready for battle? Did you know we're in a battle? Did you know that you're not here on earth just to enjoy your best life now? Do you know that your whole existence is not just for God to bless you and, and make you happy and give you warm fuzzies for the rest of your life until you go to heaven? I don't tell you what, some of the songs we sing, none tonight. Some of the stuff where uh, authors are selling and pastors are preaching sure make it sound like that. I'm telling you right now, if this was our best life now, take me home now because I don't want it. This is not our best life now. This side of heaven... We're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle. And Satan does not want us to have the joy of the Lord in our life. He doesn't want us to be an effective witness. He doesn't want us to, to help people discover how incredible our Father is. The truth of the matter is some of us don't even know why we're here. Some of us just going through life and we think it's our career. We think at the end of the day it's about our career or even love your kids about our kids. Love my kids, there's a purpose in that. But I'm gonna tell you, we are here first and foremost for the glory of God and to advance the kingdom of God. And we gotta get serious about that, we gotta stop dinking around, we gotta stop playing around with the world, trying to win approval of the world and realize that we are in a battle and if we're gonna think right, it means we gotta be ready. We gotta gird the loins, get serious. There is a hopelessness in our world today. And we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
And so we must be ready. And then secondly, verse 13b, we need to be calm. That's the idea of sober-minded. It's normally used, the word sober there, the Greek word there, the idea of not being drunk. But the broader use of that word sober-minded is to stay calm. (laughs) Stay calm. And here specifically, to keep it in its context, stay calm when pain and persecution comes your way. You might be saying, well, that's easy for you to say. You don't know what kind of week I had. You don't know how they're treating me because of my stance for Christ. We need to stay calm. Why in the world do we need to stay calm? Because the world needs to see that we're not rattled, that our faith is strong and it's rooted. There's nothing, no pandemic, no political hostilities, nothing in this world can shake us. We stay calm, why? Because we're not home yet. Because we have a living hope. In fact, Jesus says, of course in this world you're gonna have troubles and trials. Of course you're gonna be persecuted. In fact, this is one of the last words he said to his disciples in John chapter 17. He said these words. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. If we represent Christ, because this was written to specifically his, his disciples, his really, at that time 11 disciples now but right before his death or his arrest and then death but I think this is broader for all of us who are followers of Christ listen if we go in the name of Jesus do you go every day do you go to work in the name of Jesus do you go watch your, your kid play soccer and sit in the stands in the name of Jesus do you walk by and you see maybe someone that, that's homeless or someone that's struggling, and, and, and do you see them and treat them in the name of Jesus? We are ambassadors while we're here for Christ, amen? And what that means is that if we go in the name of Jesus, then guess what? They'll persecute us just like they persecuted him. But here's the other side of that, that when God has wooed people to himself, when people are, 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 are coming to Christ, not only will they be, we be persecuted like, like them, like Jesus, excuse me, but they will discover Christ in us. And that's why we stay calm, because of course we're gonna face persecution, but we have to remember the end goal. We're not here to be happy and and comfortable. We are here as ambassadors of Christ, and while that may mean persecution, it will also mean fruitfulness for the kingdom of God. So when you're persecuted, take that as a badge of honor. See that as a good thing, not a bad thing. In fact, Jesus said this um, in the uh, Beatitudes, the end of the Beatitudes, he he sums up the Beatitudes uh, this way. He said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, sometimes we earn those things. (laughs) I don't know what we're talking about. We're talking about on my account when, when, when we're standing in the name of Christ and refusing to bow to the world. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You wanna stand in the company of prophets? You wanna be among their ranks? Stand strong for Christ and stay calm when you face some persecution because you have just entered 
a really high class of people, the prophets. I don't know, I spoke at a church yesterday and they gave a lot of amen, so I either stink tonight or you're all tired from your Valentine's food, okay? Can I get an amen? amen? I don't know, make me begging for it. I hate that, I hate to have to beg. Come on now. All right, be ready, be calm. Third, verse 13c. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The third thing is be encouraged. Be encouraged because our hope is secure. When Christ returns, he's gonna right all the wrongs. We don't have to right the wrongs here and now. We don't have to defend ourselves, justify ourselves. Listen, I tried to do that all the time. Just this this past week, my wife and I met with a set group of people and I was ticked off afterwards because they were believing hearsay and spreading hearsay and I wanted to do something about it and she kept tapping me under. I'm like, stop tapping me. I wanna get mad at them. But I don't want my wife mad at me, so I took the hint and I bit my tongue, which is really hard for me, by the way, because I want to justify. God settles the score. God writes the wrongs. Be encouraged, because that day's coming. Our job is not to be seen as right. Our job on this earth is to love like Jesus, love him to the foot of the cross. You know, it's interesting, uh, uh, superhero movies, they're so popular now today. And if you think about these superhero movies, and you can insert whatever one, you know, Batman, Superman, Iron Man, you know, really, in, in reality, all of them have a very similar theme to them. In fact, I'm gonna go so far as to say this. All of them... I believe, whether, whether the ones who created them maybe even realize it or not, what they're displaying is the eternity that, man is pla- that God has placed in their hearts. Do you know that they're presenting the gospel whether they realize it or not? The theme that runs through those? In fact, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Let's do this in the reverse order. Can we agree we don't always understand what God is doing from the beginning to the end? How many here would admit I don't understand what God's doing sometimes, right? Every hand should be up, all right? But what we can know is that he's put eternity in the hearts of man. Every human being, even the atheist, whether they realize it or not. In fact, Romans 1 says they have to suppress the truth to try not to believe it. Every human soul is created with eternity, an understanding of something more, something better out there. A need to be rescued, a need to be saved. That's why some will find it, try, to, try to find it in a marriage, try to find it in a career, try to find it in different things. But he's placed eternity in the hearts of man, right? Uh, for, uh, what was it, Augustine, I think, or Pascal, who said, our hearts will always be restless until they find their rest in thee. That's every human heart. He's placed eternity in the hearts of man. Everyone yearns for something better. And then that encouragement when we understand that is, that God will make everything beautiful in this time. That's the living hope that Peter was talking about that we looked at last week, is no matter how bad things can get, we stop, we reset the mind, we lift it, 
and we remember. I know how this plays out. We win, <laughs> right? Every superhero movie has a challenging time, a difficult thing, evil's there, evil seems to be winning, and what happens? The hero saves the day, and they live happily ever after. More or less, that's the story arch, the arch of the story, the narrative. And that's a true story. That's a real story. And that's why we can go through life and find joy even when life hurts. Amen? Amen. Okay, that's better. All right. Think right. Be ready. Be calm. Be encouraged. Now, I'm going to throw a lot at you. Tonight's a little more than normal. So, all right, you're going to get your money's worth tonight, okay? A lot of stuff tonight, okay? Here's what I want you to do because you're not going to remember everything tonight. I want you just to stop for a second and I want you to look at those three. Be ready, be calm, be encouraged. You got a pen or you just do it mentally if you don't have a pen. I want you to mark which one you're struggling with right now. Which one you're not doing. Maybe you're not being ready. You're not really engaged in battle, spiritual battle. You're messing around, you're dinking around. Or maybe it's being calm, being encouraged. Just mark one down. You're gonna lean into that this week. You're gonna lean into that with Jesus this week, okay? Well, it starts by thinking right. Once we think right, then that leads to us to then live right. We think right and then we live right right. Our beliefs affect our behavior. Live right. We're talking about living right. What we mean is this, and this is a theme throughout this book, be holy. What does it mean to live right? It means to be holy. This is a theme that Peter is going to be talking about throughout this book. We are to be holy in unholy times. Now, holiness is one of those words can di- mean different things to different people, okay? Of course, we're not talking about some you know, monk that lives in a monastery and is so holy, he doesn't, you know, or, or some extreme like rules we try to live by. To be holy literally means to be set apart. Uh, Sam Storm, I love the way he defines the holiness of God because what it says in the passage is be holy as God is holy, So not man's traditions, not churches who kind of set up their own traditions and preferences for holiness. Be holy as God is holy. Sam Storm said this about the holiness of God. The holiness of God only secondarily refers to his moral purity, his righteousness of character. I think for a lot of us, stop for a second, for a lot of us, when we think about holiness, we think about our actions, our behavior, okay? That's secondary. It primarily points to his infinite otherness. If I had a cool TV where I could underline things, I'd underline otherness. To say that God is holy is to say that he is transcendentally separate. Holiness is not one attribute among many. It is not like grace or power or knowledge or wrath. Everything about God is holy. Each attribute partakes of divine holiness. So holiness is, yes, moral purity, doing what is right. But ultimately, holiness is is otherness. It's, it's, It's to be distinctly different. And God has called us to be holy as God is holy, which includes moral purity, of course, but it also means to be separate. But not separate in the sense that we, we, we don't uh, get involved and engaged in, in a lost and messy world, quite the opposite. It is to get messy while still being separate in our behavior and values. It is to love the people of the world, but not fall in love with the things of the world. Does that make sense? 
Jesus put it this way, again, talking to his disciples on the last night before his arrest. I have given them your word and the world, excuse me, this is praying to God about his disciples. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. This is the problem with some churches. They want to separate completely. They want to live in a holy huddle. They only want to be around other people that think like them, act like them. That is not what God has called us to. He has called us to engage a lost and messy world. So he's not asking them to be taken out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So when we're talking about being holy, yes, moral purity is involved, and we'll address that in future weeks. But tonight, what I want us to think about is this idea that we understand, as Peter said, that we are elect exiles, that we are in this world, but it's not home. And so we can't tighten our grip so much on the things in this world. Because in this world, people die. In this world, things get stolen. In this world, you get cancer. We loosen, loosen the grips and we don't make our joy about things in this world turning out right. Because guess what? My Bible says this world is under a curse that will only be restored at the return of Christ. And so we bring a glimmer of hope to this world. We bring the, the kingdom of God values to this world. We don't attach ourselves to this world because if you understand, first or I think a second Peter maybe, um, it's gonna burn and be renewed into a new heavens and new earth. So to be holy is to engage in a world but to make sure that this is not our home and to think and to behave accordingly. So let me just give you a couple how-tos of holiness in these, in these verses. Look at verse 14a, and for the sake of time, um, I'm going to just kind of mention them, not spend too much time at these, but, but write them down. And listen, man, in your time with Jesus this week, man, just lean into this stuff, okay? 14a, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your ignorance. 14a, right? Obedient children. I love that it refers to us obedient children. So the how-tos of holiness, first of all, have the faith of a child. Have the faith of a child. And Jesus liked to use that metaphor that our faith should be a childlike faith. Obedient children, what does that mean? A, a child trusts. A, a child believes that his, his parent, his, his dad or his mom can do anything. Then they become teenagers and you're a loser, okay? But when they're little, when they're children, they think you're awesome and they're great and you can do anything and they trust you and they wanna please you. How many of us get up in the day and we wanna please ourselves? We put our trust in ourselves or how many of us behave like obedient children when we wake up and we say, it's not about me, it is about trusting and pleasing my father. That's the beginning point. Is it about me and my glory and my ambitions? Or is it about God and his glory and his fame? Do I trust him? Do I want to please him with my life? That's the starting point. Who's on the throne? Do you have a childlike faith? 14b talks about our former ignorance. So the second how-to for holiness is choose not to settle for the old self. Choose not to settle for the old self. 
I would love to say that I don't do that, but, but I do that sometimes. <laughs> I have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in me. I have everything I need to be holy. But there are times in my life under stress, under frustration, when I don't think God is acting fast enough, I revert to my old self, my carnal self, my fleshly self, and I grab the steering wheel, or I punch back when I've been punched. I get in the gutter and play dirty. Satan loves when we do that, when we live our former self instead of our renewed self. There is that temptation. Typically, when we're hungry, when we're angry, when we're tired, right? Satan's good at what he does. It's so easy to, ref- no, those are the moments we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. No, that's my old self. That's not my redeemed self. Third how-to, look at verse 17. Told you we're covering a lot, okay, stay with me. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Uh, This is a challenging one in the world today because I think in some ways we've created a glorified grandpa in the sky, right? Uh, Where, where, you know, it's kind of, all shucks, I know sometimes they're naughty, but boy, aren't they cute. You know, where, oh, he just wants to spoil me with stuff. No, I want to tell you, God's love is not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. And there are times we need encouragement and we just need the comfort of God. But there are times that we also need to be pushed and challenged and we need to be reminded that God is still a holy God. And by the way, even for believers, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but even for believers, we will stand someday and give an account. We can fool people, we would never fool God. (laughs) And so there's this holy fear that we still live with, not being afraid of God, but being in awe of God. And so in awe of him, we just wanna please him and we just wanna hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And so thirdly, the how-to of holiness, we need to remember that we will give an account. We will stand and give an account to our Father. Look at verse 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Uh, I'm guessing that you've seen a lot of red today. Love, red. Uh, Tonight, (laughs) we wanna celebrate. Not human love, but God's love. Most demonstrated in the fact that his son Jesus would allow himself to be slaughtered on a cross. When the Bible says he could call down, while hanging on the cross, he could call down a legion of angels if he wanted to and stop it at any moment. But he willingly embraced the cross was tortured so bad, it, it says in the Old Testament, he wasn't even recognizable. He didn't even look human. He was crucified to pay our debt. His blood ransomed us. And thank God he rose from the dead or that would be a really depressing story. 
we need to remember the cost for our holiness. You can't be holy if you don't know Jesus. But if you know Christ, not only can you be holy, positionally, right, you're, you're, you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, but you now have resurrection power to practically be holy. Uh-uh, nope, 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 nope. I'm gonna do that again because I heard two amens and that is not gonna work. I don't care if it's a Monday night, I don't care if we're tired, or I don't care if you had a lot of sugar today because it's Valentine's Day, that's just not gonna work, okay? When Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, that didn't just make us positionally holy where we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, but now we have resurrection power to be practical, practically holy. There we go. Stop making me work for it. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten dinner yet. I'm waiting to do a Valentine's dinner with my wife. Come on. Don't make me wake, work so hard tonight. Remember the cost for our holiness. Not in shame. There's no shame. We're the beloved. But it's motivation, friends. Motivation. We have a Savior that's all in for us. He went to the cross. That's what it cost. That's why my encouragement on a regular basis is always remember to preach the gospel to yourself. As J.D. Greer put it, we never move beyond the gospel. We only move deeper into the gospel. Every day, sing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every day, take time to dwell. Don't drift too far away from the cross. Every day, let that just wow you again and again, the depth of the love of God for us. Amen? Amen. One more there under living right on how to be holy. Look at verse 20 and 21. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Remember the power that dwells in you. You have resurrection power dwelling in you. Well, it don't feel like it. It means you're not stepping out then. By faith. A.W. Tozer, and I'm kind of paraphrasing because I just thought of it, but A.W. Tozer said, God wants to do impossible things through his believers, but instead we settle for doing what we can do. Start stepping out by faith, and you might just start seeing the power of the resurrection at work in your life. True story, there was a Rose, uh, Rose Day parade a number of years ago, and as it was going by, one of the floats, uh, the, the, car, the truck that was pulling it, it just stopped. It couldn't, they couldn't get it running. And so it backed up everything, and they tried to figure out what was wrong. They came to discover that it had run out of gas. So I had to go find gas, put gas back into the truck, and then the parade could continue. Now here's the irony of this true story, is that particular float was the Standard Oil Company. (laughs) 
all the vast oil in the world and they had no gas. And I want to tell you, that is true for many of us as followers of Christ. We have all the resources at our expense. Peter would go on to say in 2 Peter chapter 1, his divine power has given me everything I need for life and godliness through my knowledge of him. We have every spiritual resource we need to experience spiritual power in our life. And yet so often, <laughs> we're going on empty because we're not leaning into that power and stepping out by faith that would then depend on that power. We need to live right. Again, I'm gonna ask you to do something. Look at that list, just mark one of them. If you need to mark two, go ahead. If you need to mark all of them, go ahead. But at least mark one tonight. Say, okay, I'm gonna lean into this one with Jesus this week. All right, you still with me? You good? All right, we got one more. All right? We need to love right. I mean, we can't, we can't go on Valentine's Day and not talk about love, right? We need to love right. Look at verse 22a. It says, in having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. <clears throat> Loving right means that we love like family. We love like family. When you become a follower of Christ, that is not just a vertical thing that happened. You were baptized in that moment into the body of Christ. You became part of a spiritual family. In fact, I'll go so far as to say your allegiance is ultimately to Christ and your spiritual family. If your earthly family is followers of Christ, then wonderful. But I am telling you, I have met, I have counseled with people who say, well, we don't really go to church. We're not really involved because my husband doesn't want to or, or my kids don't really want to. I'm like, I don't care, man. You are a follower of Christ. Your allegiance is to Jesus Christ first. Not to a spouse, not to your kids, not to your parents. Your allegiance is to Christ first. And you do life with other believers and followers of Christ because we have been called, we've been commanded to do the one another's. Doesn't mean we abandon and don't love our earthly family and if they're followers of Christ, certainly. But I'm gonna tell you, we are family if you are in Christ. And there is a bond there that's special and we need one another. Online church has been a great convenience, but the negative in that is, is there are some, and I know there's still some fears and some people with medical conditions, so I, I get all that, okay? Don't, don't send me angry emails, okay? The Bible says in Hebrews 10, do not get in the habit, or, or what's it say? It says something really good. It says, <laughs> uh, be in the habit do not, okay, I'm just turning there. I don't remember what it is. Well, listen to the birthday boy today. That prayer really did some work on him. <laughs> we should be in the habit of meeting and gathering as God's people. Amen? Not to sit and take in but to receive and to give back. So brotherly love is to love people, other believers in Christ like their family, and I would say love the world, demonstrate to the world what the love of Christ is like and what it could be like for them to be part of the spiritual family of God. 
in brotherly love, it, it, I don't know. I, I, I had a brother, but we were very, like, by the time he became my stepbrother, I was already in high school, so we didn't, like, hang out together um, in school. So I never, like, grew up with a brother. And that, I have four sons, and two of them, two sets are close to Brotherly love is a fascinating thing. I mean, it really, truly is a, a, a love-hate relationship. <laughs> I mean, it's like one minute, they're like literally beating the snot out of each other, and then I like to watch it, because it's kind of fun watching them fight, and then Becky makes me break it up, but... But then like 10 minutes later, they're, they're laughing and goofing around, throwing the football. Like, that's so weird. Like, you know, but that's like kind of how it is. Like, I'm gonna like be mean to you. Like my, we used to say to, to Austin's, uh, so our oldest son is TJ and, and next oldest is Austin. And, and, Austin, and Austin's not here, TJ's here. And don't deny it, you know it's true. Man, TJ used to just beat the snot out of Austin. <laughs> just like, and like Austin, like that dog that gets beat but keeps coming back for more. I'm like, man, why do you love your brother? I don't get it. Like, why? you know, and now they're the best of friends and he's gonna be in his wedding and whatnot. But, but that brother, my point is that brotherly love is an interesting <laughs> dynamic. They will fight, but then they will defend each other and be the best of friends. And so I was just kind of thinking about that, that idea of brotherly love. Here, here, here's the deal. Sometimes we're gonna fight with our brothers and sisters. And uh, I'm gonna tell you, and I, without going into detail, God has really convicted me this week. Um, um, I need to love certain people with the more brotherly love than I have. You see, this isn't just for the people that are nice to us, that treat us well. The, this is for anybody. <laughs> this is our enemies, <laughs> even. Right? Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for them, bless them, love them. So what would that look like in your life this week to show a brotherly, a sisterly love? And I'm gonna tell you, the moment we say, well, oh, they don't deserve it, time out. We want God to play that way? <laughs> we want God to only love us well when we deserve it? Remember what we're calling this, our response to extravagant love, or excuse me, extravagant grace, right? That grace extends from vertical to horizontal relationships. I need to keep moving here, but we need, loving right means we love like family. Secondly, verse 22b, I'm in uh, 1 Corinthians somehow, don't know how I got there. Give me a second. There we go. Verse 22b. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Second thing is we need to love with pure motives. We need to love with pure motives. Um, we can act loving, but love flows out of the heart. Amen? I'm gonna tell you, sadly, sometimes church is, is, is sometimes, and this is why many have left the church, is sometimes the most fakey place you can go. And that breaks my heart. Why is it church is the place where we act like we have it all together? I never understood that. Those of you that know me, that have heard my teaching, I, I air my dirty laundry. You know, multiple churches I've been in, have, uh, I have been reprimanded for that. You're too transparent. 
Really? I'm supposed to be way up here and people way down here? Is that, that, how's that supposed to be? I think it's Martin Luther who said, man, all we are are beggars who have learned where to go to find food, helping other beggars learn where to find food. You know what I am? Like Paul, I'm the worst of sinners. Saved by the grace of God. Church ought to be the most open, honest, transparent place. The most patient place with each other. Where we go the extra mile for one another. We come in not trying to impress with pure hearts when we don't have it all together and someone says, how you doing? We say, not that great. <laughs> Would you pray over me? You know, some of you know I'm launching a church. You know what I want that church to be? I want to see the service happening outside of the service. I want to see the lobby area, people praying over each other. I want church to be a place that's full of broken people, <laughs> willing to admit they're broken. I want a place where we can be open and honest and our motives are pure that just flows out of honest, honest, honest love for one another. I say a lot there, but I'll wrap it up with one last thing. Verse 23 to 25. Save the best for last. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news. Gospel, that word good news is the word gospel. It's where we get our word gospel. And this is, is the good news that was preached to you. Now this is referring to, yes, the word of God remains forever, praise God. Right? It's been around for, for 2,000 years, the New Testament, and many more years, all the way back to Moses in the Old Testament. But the broader or the more specific context that I think Peter's getting at here, good news meaning the, 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 the word referring to the good news, the gospel. That there's power in the gospel and it endures forever. The, the work of the gospel of what Christ did on our behalf, his death and resurrection, that endures forever. It covers us till we meet Jesus face to face. See, the last thing is this. If we're going to love right, not only are we to love like family and love with pure motives, but lastly, we are to love in light of the gospel. The gospel is what is motivating us when we stop and think of all that we've been forgiven, all that he's forgiven in us. Then why in the world would we not forgive somebody else? Why in the world would we not expend, extend grace? What they didn't ask for it. Yeah, that's what grace is. Getting what you don't deserve. We gotta get our head in the game, church. We're not here for our best life now. We're here to know Christ and to make Christ known. And that means we need to think right. And we need to live right. And we need to love right. Because the Bible says they will know you are my disciples by your 
love. And I want to tell you something. This may seem overwhelming and like, well, I don't even know where to start in all this stuff. Well, thank God you have the power of the resurrected Lord dwelling in you. I want to close with uh, illustration. I encourage you to stand with me if you would, please. One day, a prairie chicken found an egg and he sat on it until it hatched. Unbeknownst to the prairie chicken, the egg was an eagle egg, abandoned for some reason. That's how an eagle egg came to be born in a family of prairie chickens. While the eagle is the greatest of all birds, soaring above the heights with grace and ease, the prairie chicken doesn't even know how to fly. They spend their days eating garbage for food. Little eagle, being raised with prairie chickens, thought he was a prairie chicken. He walked around, ate garbage, and clucked like a prairie chicken. One day he looked up to see a majestic bald eagle soar through the air, dipping and turning. And when he asked his family what it was, they responded, it's an eagle. But you could never be like that because you're just a prairie chicken. The eagle spent his whole life looking up at eagles, longing to join them among the clouds. It never once occurred to him to lift his wings and try to fly. The eagle died thinking he was just a prairie chicken. Friends, you and I have the Holy Spirit of God in us. And when we get our head right and get into the game, we start living in a way that brings glory to God and ruffle some feathers along the way, no pun intended, and love extravagantly, even to those who don't love back you will start flying like an eagle. You'll experience the joy of the Lord now. You will see impact in your life because this is not our best life now. But it sure can be a joy-filled life until the life comes. We gotta get our heads in the game. Think right, live right, love right. And all God's people said, Amen. Father God, thank you for your holy and precious word. So much meat. Really just scratch the surface. So Father, just thank you for it. May we just lean in and, and saturate our soul with these words throughout the week, Father. Thank you that there is indeed power at work in us. If we would just step out and fly by faith. Thank you for all you've done for us, Father. May we love extravagantly this week. May we live holy and may we be focused and realize we are in a battle for the hearts and souls of mankind. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.